Hey everyone, welcome or welcome back to the Brave Church Podcast, and thanks for listening. At the end of this talk, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Facebook or Instagram, where you can get even more connected to what's going on in our community. But most importantly, we hope the following talk inspires you to take your next step in finding or following Jesus. Brave Church, welcome. We are so glad that you're here with us during this holiday season. And today we are starting a new talk series called Miracles. Okay, this week, today, we're going to talk about the nature of miracles. What is a miracle? Why God does them and how they impact us. And then next week, Pastor Darren, my dad, he's going to do part two, talking about the miracle that you need. And so next Sunday is actually going to be a great Sunday. It's Christmas weekend. I can't believe that Christmas is already almost here. Yesterday, we were driving back from Sacramento. My wife graduated college, and uh, we're excited. But we were driving back, and it's been such a push just to get through that finish line and all kinds of stuff. And, and I realized we, we haven't bought one Christmas present yet. So this is going to be a fun week. But it's coming up fast. And next Sunday, Christmas at Brave is a great Sunday to invite a friend, someone that could use some hope during this season as we talk about miracles that we long for and that our hearts are desiring. And so it's going to be a very hopeful morning. And it's going to be so fun to see all these kids on stage. You know, we haven't lost one yet. Um, none of them have fallen off. And so it's, it's going to be Really, really good. Uh, But hey, so today, as we talk about miracles, I want to begin with a question. When you hear the word miracle, what do you think of? Maybe you think of stories that you've heard on the news, like uh, a parent miraculously lifting a car to save a child's life. Maybe you think of physical healing, someone being healed of an illness or cancer. You might think of something that others would call a coincidence, but to you, it's a sign from God. Christmas is a season for miracles, and we've got miracles on our mind because this is a season where we celebrate one of the greatest miracles of all, the birth of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Christmas miracle. Christmas was named after Jesus, and at the inception of Christmas is the miracle birth of our Savior. And so this is a season built around this theme of miracles, and it's all around us. It's in marketing, it's in movies, even the cheesiest Hallmark movies that my parents love at Christmas time have a theme of miracles. I I refuse to watch Hallmark movies, especially the Christmas ones, because I just, I don't, I don't think they're Christmas movies. They're Christmas themed movies. Like they're just normal romantic dramas with some Christmas trees in them. But even the cheesiest ones, they slip in some element of the miraculous, some kind of magical thing that happens because Christmas is associated with that. It's a a season for miracles. And so when we hear the word miracle, we all think of different things. And some of us, we aren't sure that we believe that miracles are possible. Last spring here at Brave, we had an incredible season as a church where we saw God doing miracles through the power of prayer. People were being prayed for, and they were being healed from things. And it was amazing. Well, I've never seen a miracle. Some of the miracles that I've been hearing about this week, I've been talking to different people. Some of them are miracles I've never even seen seen myself. Like, I've never seen anything like it. All week long, I've been asking people uh, when I've just people that I've ran into or, or, or met up with, and I've been asking them, hey, tell me about the most miraculous thing you've ever seen. 
Tell me about a miracle that you've experienced. And I heard some pretty crazy stories. I want to tell you one of them. Uh, I was talking to a guy who told me that he spent three years in middle school living on the mission field with his family in Asia. And he said that while he was there, when he was 12 years old, he prayed for a woman who was born with no fingers, and he saw her fingers grow back. I've never seen anything like that. Maybe you have, or maybe you haven't. But miracles come in so many different forms. The thing is, they're personal. We've all had different experiences with the miraculous. Some of us might have experienced a miracle in our lives this last year. Maybe it was a financial miracle when provision came at just the right moment when you needed it the most. I was talking to someone after our gathering last week, and we were talking about generosity. And she said, you know, we, my family's really been struggling financially. And we haven't told anyone that we're struggling But God has been putting us on people's hearts, and they've been coming and and giving us checks and asking if they can help us, and they didn't even know how much we were struggling. It was a miracle. Others have experienced relational miracles. Like, only God could have done that. I didn't think we'd ever talk again. I didn't think we'd be friends. Only God could have brought us back together. Some of us could really use a miracle right now. And maybe it's a very specific kind of miracle when you think of, hey, if I, if I could have a miracle, if I could have one thing that God could do in my life, this is what I'd ask him to do. Our family's praying for a miracle for my father-in-law. His name's Javier. And, and uh, good news, he is now in Florida, which is huge because we weren't sure if he was going to make it. So now his chances of, of surviving and getting a liver transplant are so much higher. But now we're praying that he gets a liver. Like We're praying for his transplant. Jesus represents the power to perform miracles. In fact, his entire life was bookended with miracles, starting with his birth, being born of a virgin. Talk about a miracle, right? And then at the end, dying and being resurrected from the grave. That's a pretty big miracle. And then there's all the stuff that we've heard about that happened in the middle. I saw a post the other day on social media. It said, nobody ever talks about Jesus' miracle of having 12 close friends in his 30s. I love that. As a fo- if you're in your 20s, you'll know when you get to your 30s. As a follower of Jesus, if you believe in a died and resurrected Savior, that he is the Son of God, it makes no sense not to believe in miracles. It makes no sense not to believe that there are things that God can do that no one else can do. And so some of us, maybe we've been asking God for a miracle and we've, we've asked him for one and been disappointed. Maybe we've felt let down. For others, maybe you weren't even asking for a miracle, and God did one. And the only explanation was God, and it's how you came to faith in Jesus Christ. So today, I want to talk to you, and I want to do a lot of teaching in hopes of giving us a framework for how we think about miracles. And we're going to talk about these three things. What are miracles, why God does them, and how they impact us. These are big questions that we wrestle with, and there's no way that we can answer them fully, But fortunately for us, in the book of Acts, which is the story of the start of the church, in chapter 3, we see the first miracle that ever happened through the disciples after Jesus left them. And from this story, it's loaded with stuff that we can learn about the nature of miracles. So we're talking about the nature of miracles. We're going to be in Acts 3, and if you didn't get notes, go ahead and raise your hand. Our ushers will get those to you. But we're going to look at two sections of verses, verses 2 through 8. And then we're going to jump down to verses 13 through 23. But let's begin by reading this together. So Acts 3, starting in verse 2. 
It says, now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped up to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. We're going to jump down to verse 13. It says, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, was, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, and did, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Repent, then, and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people. Let's pray. God, I pray this morning as we approach this topic of miracles and as we learn and, and read about the first miracle that you did in a, as you established your church, that you would teach us things that are for our lives, that you would show us your heart for, for people and why you do these miraculous things, but also that you would fill us with hope for some of the miracles that you want to do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So our first question, what are miracles? Here's a simple definition of a miracle, and point number one a miracle is something that only God can do. Something that only God can do. Peter says to the lame man in the second part of verse 6, he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And then later on, he comes back to that in verse 16 when he's explaining what happened to him. And he says, by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. When Peter says this, he's saying that this miracle proves that the message that we're preaching, the message of Jesus, is being preached by his power and that we represent Jesus. The miracle was pointing to God. See, when God starts doing things in people's lives that only God can do, people find Jesus. And so Peter's telling the people to prove that we have Jesus' message and Jesus' power, we're going to do the same kinds of miracles that Jesus did. And so for followers of Jesus, our view of miracles and our view of God are inseparable. They're one and the same. They're connected. When I think about the miracles that I've hoped for and the ones that I've experienced in my life, they all have one thing in common. Only God could have done them. 
If, if I can do it, if it's in my strength or my ability, if it's about me, it's not a miracle. Miracles are things that only God can do and only God deserves credit for. When I met my wife, we had three strikes against us. Okay, the first was that she never wanted to be married. Her parents were going through a, a separation and it was a really rough time, so she didn't have hope for a future, a long-term future with someone. The second strike is that she never wanted kids. Uh, she was just insecure about her ability to be a good parent because of some stuff that she went through growing up. And then the third and biggest one is when we met, she wasn't following Jesus. So we had these three strikes against us, but this last Wednesday, December 12th, we celebrated the greatest miracle that God has given us, two years of marriage. And now we're expecting our first child. And I share that because only God can do that. Like, we had a great counselor, but nobody's that good. Okay, only Jesus. Jesus is the only reason we're here today. There was no person in our lives that could do for us what Jesus could do. And I know many of you have experienced the same things in your lives. There are so many different kinds of miracles. But I think that relational miracles are often the miracle that we need the most. Maybe this Christmas your marriage needs a miracle or a relationship with a parent or a friend. God can do those kinds of miracles too. Maybe the first step for you today is recognizing that you need a miracle, that, that you can't fix it in your own strength, that you can't make it happen, that, that you do not have the ability and that you need God's help. Jesus is our healer. And at the start of the church, he was showing people that he can do things that no one else can do and that he cares about us. I love how this man responded to his miracle. It says that he went with them into the temple courts. He was walking and jumping and praising God. And then look at how the disciples respond. This is the first miracle that God has done through them since Jesus left. And look at how they respond. They say, it is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that's given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. The disciples knew that the source of their miracles, the miracles that God was doing through them, that the source was God. And, and it was that perspective and that humble posture that allowed God to continue doing miracles through them that led people to Jesus. Maybe you need a miracle or, or you want God to do a miracle through you. Maybe there are miracles that, that you've prayed and said, God, I wish you would do this for, for my friend. Do, use me to help them or use me to help people. The starting point to miracles is recognizing where they come from. And so we've established what a miracle is. A miracle is something only God can do. But now why does God do them? Okay, number two, miracles are teaser trailers to the feature film. <laughs> this man was miraculously healed. People were blown away. They were running towards him. They're like, hey, how did that happen? What's going on? Is there more where that came from? When a big movie comes out and they drop the teaser trailer, if it's really good, fans go nuts, right? The biggest movie I can think of in the last 10 years is when The Force Awakens came out. And if you don't know what that is, it's Star Wars, okay, the reboot. And I looked it up this week. The teaser trailer got 24 million views. But let me ask you, of those 24 million views, do you think anybody was content to just watch the teaser trailer? Like, didn't see the movie? No, not one. 
So what Peter's doing here and what we're seeing through these miracles in the New Testament is they're pointing to something even better that's coming. They're like teaser trailers. He starts preaching. Peter starts preaching. and He's, he's making these really deep theological points explaining to people the nature of miracles. Look what he says in verse 21. It says, he, being Jesus, must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything. This miracle is a teaser. It's a sign that points towards a heaven-filled world that God has planned for us, when heaven and earth will be completely one, at a time when everything will be completely restored to what it should be. Throughout the entire New Testament, whether we're looking at Jesus's miracles or the apostles' miracles, they were never just raw displays of power. These miracles were a message to people that were giving them hope and pointing to something better to come. There's a full-length film coming, and they're saying, hey, if you don't believe us, check this out. Boom. And then we see this miracle, this great act of love in people's lives that points to God's best intentions for us, his best plans. They're saying, we have the power of God. Therefore, we have the truth. You can trust us. A few years ago, I was talking to a guy about miracles, and this guy, he brought up a verse in John chapter 14, verse 12, where Jesus says something really interesting. He says, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I've been doing, and they will do even greater works, greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And so I was talking to this guy, and he was really enamored by this verse. And I was like, well, what do you think? You know, he's like, what do you think this could be? I mean, this is just incredible that we're going to do even greater things than Jesus did. And so then he started talking about gold dust falling from the ceiling during worship and finding diamonds in, in the room. And, and then I got the impression that he wanted to fly someday, like physically fly. And it, really, it was just pointing to all of this superhero type stuff. Like, I don't know if he was thinking lasers would shoot out of his eyes or what, what these miracles would be. But we got to talking about it, and I realized there's a lot of confusion sometimes when we get obsessed or enamored by the miraculous, and we miss the point. And really, what we see here in this verse, because Jesus really did say this, he said, you will do even greater things. But if we're not careful in how we interpret that, if we don't catch Jesus' heart and what he's trying to say, we can totally miss it. We can become people that are chasing signs and wonders as if those are the thing that we're seeking. See, what, what does Jesus say about greatness? How does Jesus define greatness? Is washing his disciples' feet. Is giving your life as a sacrifice for many. Greatness in the kingdom of God is serving others. It's love. The greatest stuff is always love. When we look at the miracles of Jesus, it's a pretty remarkable list. He turned water to wine. He walked on water. He died and came back to life. And not only that, but he brought someone else back to life, a guy named Lazarus. If greater means more spectacular or more impressive than those things, I mean, how do you top those things? How do you top bringing someone back from the dead? Also, notice that none of the disciples' miracles were random. They weren't writing their names in the sky with clouds. They weren't throwing down lightning from heaven, right? No, they were doing things that pointed to a better future. They were teaser trailers to the feature film. When Jesus says that we're going to do even greater things, I don't think he meant more spectacular. I can't even imagine one thing that's more spectacular than coming back from life, right? I don't think he's talking about that. I think what Jesus is saying, he's talking to his disciples about a time where his followers will take his love 
and it'll go viral. It'll spread across the globe. I mean, imagine, think about it. At this time, the world hadn't yet heard the message of Jesus. They hadn't experienced his love. This is the love of Jesus being multiplied across the planet 100 billion times, carrying his mission and his love forward to everyone. One theologian said this. He said, if you take a look at Jesus' miracles, Jesus' healings, including the apostles' healings, are the only natural things in a world that is unnatural, demonized, and wounded. Natural, the way that God had originally invented nature, was for us not to die, not to suffer, not to go blind, not to be lame, and not to fall apart. Miracles show us that God is an enemy of suffering, and that someday he's going to deal with it once and for all. And if we're a church on God's side, we're going to be enemies of suffering too, and wherever we can, we're going to help those who are suffering. Don't you just feel full of hope when you think that God has us to work with in this valley, that he has a room full of people and many more that care about the needs of, the, of those that are suffering around them? So number one, miracle, a miracle is something that only God can do. And number two, miracles are teaser trailers to the feature film. And now, let's talk about how they impact us. Number three, miracles show us how much we need Jesus, how much we need Jesus, Virtually every miracle story in the New Testament points towards final salvation that will one day come at the end of times. So to some degree, every miracle points to the salvation that we need right now that's available to us right now in Jesus Christ. Maybe for some of you here today, you've been exploring faith for a while. Maybe you've been coming to Brave for a while, or maybe it's your first Sunday, but maybe for the first time, you're experiencing this feeling of faith in God. Maybe your, your spiritual eyes are being opened. It's a work of the Spirit of God that anyone comes to faith. It's a miracle. It's a miracle when someone is filled with faith and belief in their creator. And so what we need, our greatest need, is that our souls be saved. Our greatest need is to find a relationship with Jesus Christ and to make our way back home to a new life in him. So when I think about it, I think about people who have come to faith. You know, I don't, I don't know anyone that was argued into or debated into a, a genuine relationship with God. And, and really, if you're here and, and that's your, been your journey and that's your pursuit, I don't know that you'll ever be debated into a relationship with Jesus. And I just want to put that out there because I think sometimes we actually think in our pursuit of learning about God because it's a very reasonable faith. It's a very reasonable and logical thing to believe in God. But I think sometimes we get this idea that all of our questions are going to be answered before we cross that line. But that's not how a miracle works. And that's not how God works. It's an act of his spirit that our spiritual eyes become opened. Notice in verse 6, it says, Then Peter said, Silver or gold you do not have, but what I have I give you. See, maybe some of us today, like this lame man in the story, thought that we needed something different. Maybe we came here looking for something that we thought would help us, that we needed, that would make us happier. And what Peter's saying to this guy is he's saying, what you're asking me to do, what you're asking me for is actually too superficial. I want to do something deeper. I want to do something more for you. Peter isn't saying that it's wrong for this poor man to be asking for money, but what he's saying is that's, I'm not just going to give you money. I'm going to give you something way better. 
And there's actually a parallel story to this from the life of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. It's in Luke 4, and it's an exact parallel of this story. Luke 4, there's a paralyzed man, and he's brought to Jesus by some friends. And his friends bring him in. They set him down in in front of Jesus, and Jesus comes over, and what does Jesus say to him? He says, my son, your sins are forgiven. Now, let's imagine for a moment that this guy isn't a first century Jew, but he's a Bay Area resident. And his friends bring him in and they put him down and Jesus comes over and he's paralyzed. He's there for healing. He's there for a very specific reason. And Jesus comes over and he says, my son, your sins are forgiven. How do you think he would respond? He'd probably say something like, I didn't fight through three hours of traffic to get here for you to forgive me of my sins. Like we can talk about religion, spirituality, sin. He's probably, I don't even know if I believe in sin, right? This isn't why I'm here. I'm here for healing. But Jesus says, no, that, that's not what you need. When Jesus says, my son, your sins are forgiven. And when Peter says, you don't need silver and gold. What they're both saying is, is you think that you need your legs healed. But what I want for you is something even more. I want healing for your soul. Now, both of these men had a physical need, and they were both healed. Thank you, Jesus. But which healing was more significant? Does it get any more significant than healing for our souls and being given eternal life? It's kind of crazy to think about. You know, growing up, we don't think much about living forever because we're just getting started, right? But as you get older, you start to think about, like, am I going to live a long life? How long am I going to live? And this is a huge thing right now. I was reading some articles this week. A lot of people are trying to figure out how to extend life, like, for a long time. And so there's these tech billionaires that are trying to figure out how to live forever. And so I read this article. There's a guy named Peter Thiel, and he was a, a well-known venture capitalist invested in Facebook and PayPal and some, some big companies. And so in this interview... It's this, this woman who's interviewing him says, an hour into my conversation with Peter Thiel, the conversation turns, as it seems conversations with Thiel often do, to the question of death. And basically, Thiel says earnestly, I'm against it. <laughs> and what he calls the problem of death is a topic that he returns to often. I think there are probably three main modes of approaching it, he says. You can accept it. You can deny it, or you can fight it. I think our society is dominated by people who are into denial or acceptance, and I prefer to fight it. So he's trying to fight death. And he's not alone. In a 2011 New Yorker profile, Peter Thiel, tech philanthropist and billionaire, surmised that probably the most extreme form of inequality is between people who are alive and people who are dead. (laughs) While he may not be technically wrong, Uh, Thiel and other eccentric, wealthy tech celebrities such as Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg have taken the next step to counteract that inequality by embarking on a quest to live forever. Thiel and many like him have been investing in research on life extension, part of transhumanism, drawing on fields as diverse as neurotechnology, artificial intelligence, biomedical engineering, and philosophy. Transhumanists believe that the limitation of the human body and mortality can be transcended by machines and technology. The ultimate aim is immortality. The idea that fighting death or beating death might seem crazy, at least in the sense that they're going about it, right? But at the core, I think that their 
tapping into something that was placed inside of us by our creator. And that is a desire to live forever. In Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says that God has set eternity in the human heart. God has put within us this desire to live forever. And that's why death can be so scary. We weren't made to die. And according to Jesus, the one thing that we really need, the one thing that we have to have, the only thing that we have to have is a relationship with God. And as bad as suffering is and the problems we face in this world and the pain that we go through, as bad as all of that is, it's not our biggest problem. Sin is our biggest problem. We need a right relationship with God. And we have have to get right with God. And then and only then will our deepest needs be fulfilled. Our greatest desires, the things we were created for, hardwired into us. Jesus could point around the room and and say, look at all these people. He's there with the guy who's asking for healing. And he could point around the room and say, look at all these people. They can all walk. They've been walking for a long time. And they're still not happy. There's still things that they desire. See, all of us in this room, to some degree, are like this this man asking for gold and silver or this guy asking for his healing, all of us in this room can probably think of something that we would say, well, if I had that, I'd be happier. But the point of the gospel and the point of what Jesus is offering us is that it is the one thing that we need the most that solves everything else. It, it settles our eternity. And so for some of you here today, Maybe you've been going through some suffering and we have so much compassion for you. And if there's a need that we can meet in a way that we can help, that's our response. That's love. But for others of us, maybe we need to be reminded that our deepest need, what these miracles point to, our deepest need is Jesus. And that we've been offered that. That it's a scandalous gift that has been offered to us freely, but it demands a response. I want to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes because I want to pray with you. And for those of you who are here, we're just creating a sacred moment that maybe you haven't decided yet where you'll place your trust in eternity. And maybe today for the first time you're being filled with faith, you're being filled with hope and a belief in Jesus Christ. It's like your eyes are being opened for the first time and you're seeing everything differently. And if that's where you're at, I'm not going to have you stand up or come forward, but I just want to invite you to raise your hand so that I know that you're making that decision so that I can pray with you. If that's where you're at, go ahead and raise your hand. Awesome. That's amazing. Well, I want you to agree with, agree with me in your heart as I pray this prayer. Dear God, I am guilty of thinking that I need a lot of things that I don't need. And I am guilty of thinking that I need things more than you. But today I recognize that you are the solution. You are the answer. You are the greatest gift that I could be given. And so now I commit my life to following you, being surrendered to you, coming under you. And I want to learn a new way. I want to learn a new way how to follow Jesus so that I can live with you and my Father in heaven for the rest of eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.